most recently. So um, all in all, it's not, uh, it hasn't been dramatic, but we've certainly seen moves in the currency and in the equity market. And we heard from the IMF earlier this week when it issued its new update on the global economy. It forecast GDP growth for India of an astonishing 12.5%, although that was made before this latest surge in COVID-19 cases. I guess they might have to uh, revise that down a little bit is because I presume this is going to have an impact on the economy. Yeah, it, it really depends how far it spreads through the country. Maharashtra being uh, a big state but uh, and a, a significant contributor to GDP, but a lot of it's services-based, and that can continue to a large extent. So, um, yes, 12.5% uh, is probably at the top end, but that was their conservative estimate. Mm. I would suggest that we're in that 10 to 12 range, and mainly that's you know driven, of course, in the first half of the year by the base effect of last year's severe lockdown and severe economic decline. So I think that's baked in to a large extent for the first half. What will really be most interesting will be the forward-looking uh, indicators going into the second half of the year and how much this uh, spike in the pandemic will impact growth. Overall, um, it would still be likely, uh, even withstanding this uh, second wave, unless it gets severely worse, uh, that uh, India will grow strongly this year. Toby, always a pleasure to talk to you and stay safe over there. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this week in Australia. First of all, the ASS, ASX 200 is off almost half a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan moving in the other direction up 1%. In South Korea, the Cosby also rising about 0.2%. And futures markets indicating a little bit of a brighter start for the Hang Seng this morning, up around about 40 points or so. Do have a great weekend. Stay tuned for Back Chats uh, coming up next with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast for today, cloudy with one or two showers. The maximum temperature will be about 22 degrees. The outlook, mainly cloudy and windy in the next couple of days. Brighter early next week. 21 degrees right now, 87% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. A patient's concern group says it would be wasteful of the government to go ahead with its purchase of 7.5 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine if people here are reluctant to take it. The chairman of Hong Kong Patients Voices, Alex Lan, said a survey by the group showed the vaccine was the most popular choice here, compared to jabs offered by Sinovac and BioNTech. But recent news linking AstraZeneca to rare blood clots may have dented public confidence in it. He told RTHK the success of the vaccination program depended on people's confidence in the jabs. Although we, we have a survey months ago that apparently AstraZeneca is one of the popular vaccines here among the three, but given the bad news quite recently that people may be reluctant to take this vaccine, it would be wasteful and better to save money for other better choices. President Biden has announced his administration's first measures to limit gun violence in the United States, describing the situation as an international embarrassment. The executive orders include the tightening of regulations for guns that can't be traced by the authorities because they're assembled at home. The U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland said the ultimate goal was to save American lives. I am under no illusions about how hard it is to solve the problem of gun violence. And I know that the Department of Justice alone cannot solve the problem. It is a problem that we must all work on together in a collective effort to keep guns out of the hands of criminals and save lives. 
And the United States has imposed sanctions on Myanmar's state-run gem company, a key source of income for the country's military authorities. Myanmar is the world's largest producer of high-quality jade. The US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said the sanctions would send a message to the military to cease its violence against anti-coup demonstrators. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chewerton, your co-host today is Danny Gittings. Danny, good to have you back. It's good to be back. Today, how welcoming is the West and trashing the countryside? A surge in violence and hate crimes against Asian Americans in the United States has prompted rallies and a nationwide campaign, Stop Asian Hate. But what's triggering this? Is it COVID? Is it hostility to a rising China? Is it China's actions in Xinjiang and elsewhere? Or underlying racism? Donald Trump? And of course, how can it be stopped? And there are also reports of big increases in harassment of Chinese and other East Asians in the UK too. Police data there suggesting a rise of 300% in hate crimes towards Chinese East and Southeast Asians in the first quarter of 2020. At the same time, the British government has unveiled a £43 million array of measures to help new BNO arrivals from Hong Kong settle in that country. Why is the Hong Kong, uh, sorry, the UK government doing that? Do they have popular support for their measures? And Will they make a difference? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266 to join the conversation, 233-88266. And uh, at the end of the programme, as I said, ahead of this weekend, we're going to be talking about the trash problem in our parks and outlying islands, especially lessons learnt after the Easter break. Once again, our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, Just a few uh, emails to uh, kick off uh, on, uh, on other topics. We've got some interesting uh, emails from Matthew and Bowen, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, David says, Yesterday on your programme, a listener expressed concern that uh, Steve Vines would no longer be on Morning Brew. She said listeners were owed an explanation. This comes as a complete shock to me. I've tuned into Morning Brew for several years <clears throat> and enjoyed listening to the views of Mr Vines. There was no warning last week that he would no longer be on the show. This appears ominous and can only give rise to speculation. There can, of course, be a perfectly legitimate explanation. I do feel listeners are owed an explanation. That comes uh, from David. Uh, well, David, I think... I think uh, Didn't uh, Phil give an explanation? Phil, Phil did uh, give an explanation. Uh, in essence, he's, uh, Steve Eyes has been promoted to uh, back chat, so he'll be on this programme. Uh, back chat's a promotion, is it, Hugh? Of course, yeah. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, Andrew Kay says, uh, on the subject of Sky News, on Sky TV last night, the UK government is allocating funds to support Hong Kong refugees fleeing to the UK. They actually interviewed some guy who claimed to have fled, a name I've never heard of. Last time I heard, most applicants for the refugee scheme were already resident in the UK. Is there not some freedom of information platform that can advise how many applicants Hong Kongers have applied? My bet is less than 100. That uh, is from uh, Andrew Kay. Uh, email backchat at rthk.hk. Our guest in the first half of the show, uh, Diana Yeh, who's a senior lecturer at City University's of London School of Arts and Social, um, Social Sciences in the Department of Sociology, and Chip Cho, a social commentator. Uh, let's go to uh, Diana Yeh first. Um, uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for staying up so late to join us on Backchat. Thank you for having me. 
me. Uh, now, you um, last year, you, uh, you, you, your, your parents from Hong Kong, right? But you, you were born in Britain la- la- last year. You gave a whole series of interviews talking about a spike of racism towards chi- Chinese and other uh, Southeast Asians in the UK as a result of COVID. Uh, how, how do you assess the situation now? Well, I think our communities here are still feeling extremely vulnerable, um, extremely angry and upset. Um, I think that the um, the sort of rise in verbal and physical attacks that have been taking place in the streets, on public transport and in workplaces um, since um, around January 2020 have been ongoing despite um, lockdown. And I think as um, UK um, enters kind of the, the possibility of lifting lockdown, um, there's a real fear amongst the community that there's going to be, uh, again, a surge in racial attacks um, and wider kind of racial abuse. So um, there is still... Um, Um, a lot of fear. There are still um, sort of various forms of attacks, various forms of racial discrimination and abuse taking place online, on the streets, um, that are ongoing. Now, one thing we heard a lot of last year from Hong Kong people and other Asians in the UK was about how afraid they felt to, to wear face masks, that they almost they, they, they didn't get singled out for wearing face masks. But sure, surely that's something that's improved over the past year because so many other people wearing face masks. You don't, you don't feel conspicuous yourself. I think the issue is that it depends who is wearing the face mask and how they are perceived. So um, someone who is non-Asian um, looking may um, m- may not be perceived as in any particular way. But still, if you are Asian and wearing a mask, you are still doubly somehow suspect of um, you know being a carrier of COVID because of the racialization of the disease. What are the what are the nature of these attacks or, or these comments or this, this hostility? Can you give examples, maybe personal examples that's happened to you or your friends? What are we talking about here? I mean, in terms of in terms of um, my own experience, mm. I've had you know just people shouting coronavirus when I'm walking down the street. But you know, there have been a whole range of different um, attacks. You know, from sort of um, people sustaining um, you know physical injuries, ending up hospital hospitalized with broken jaws um we've had um businesses that have been vandalized had bricks thrown in them fireworks thrown in them um you know um take away workers um um being attacked or sort of abused um verbally um graffiti racist graffiti daubed on um asian restaurants so there's a kind of a whole range of um, different forms of um, racial abuse, uh, ra- racial violence that are taking place. And then, of course, there's a kind of a whole other aspect of um, online abuse that is um, taking place as well. And what do you think is the cause of this? Is it down to COVID or did that kind of trigger something pre-existing or, I don't know, Brexit yeah, or, or uh, uh, the geopolitics or a bit of everything? What, what's your diagnosis? I think I think it's a bit of everything. I mean, absolutely, the racialization of COVID nineteen is um, exactly kind of what sparked, um, you know, the kind of rise in racial attacks. And you know, there were stories of the origins of the virus in Wuhan, and this was swiftly taken up in social media, linking it to the supposed Chinese custom of eating bats. 
Um, you know, so this was, you know, months before Donald Trump's infamous Chinese virus tweet. But as you say, importantly, this racialization, it didn't happen in a vacuum. But it's a part of sort of century long, centuries long racial discourses on Chinese and East and Southeast Asians more widely. So this goes right back to the 19th century in yellow peril discourses um, about um, different ways in which um, Chinese and East and Southeast Asian people are racialized. And, you know, the, the kind of imagination is um, already long set and the kind of um, the uptake in these discourses around COVID-19 couldn't have happened without the kind of century-long um, centuries-long sort of racial discourses. But I think you're absolutely right. There, there is also um, an issue um, around rising China and geopolitics. Um, but let's not forget that there's also kind of like this long historical racialization of diseases. Um, you know, we saw this in SARS in 2003 and even more so in foot and mouth in 2001. And this is where the Chinese catering trade was scapegoated for starting um, the outbreak of foot and mouth. And this was a claim actually made by the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food, which was later retracted. Um, but again, you know, we see this kind of rise, um, a spike in racist attacks against the Chinese um, through this kind of racialization of disease. And it's obviously happened in, in, in other countries as well. We're also joined by uh, Chip Cho, social commentator. Chip, good morning. Welcome back to Back Chat. Yeah, I, well, I, I suppose you don't wake me up that <laughs> early to invite me to add my own voice to this uh, chorus of moral condemnation. Right? So I leave that out. Well, my view is this. Well, it's, well, saddening and disappointing and, of course, confusing to me after we in Hong Kong keep being told that the status of being Chinese has been much elevated in the West, thanks to Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Donnie Yen, whose Kung Fu kicks have successfully changed the image of Chinese from that of coolies and tri-gangsters to proud global citizens. And the China GDP with the big spending Chinese tourists and Chinese students coupling with their Ferrari cars through the Western University campuses have somewhat contributed to the pre-COVID-19 image on Hollywood screen in movies like Crazy Rich Chinese. And liberals in the West have been very helpful in promoting the cancel culture, political correctness, and progressive Marxism to silence Caucasians from all stereotypical derogatory name-callings against Asians. But despite all this, all of a sudden, the collapse overnight. Chinese are attacked because of a global virus that, according to the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman in March last year, was brought into China as some 300 U.S. military members arrived in the Wuhan region for the military World Games in mid-October the previous year and infected the local Chinese population. So since then, Donald Trump has been crowning the virus with the name of the nation to which we are so proud of racially belong. Then we were told not only the American soldiers had spread this virus around, but Donald Trump, as the most racist and fascist president in American history, is solely responsible for fending up this anti-Chinese hate campaign. Now, I'm not sure whether it is racialization on the part of Donald Trump or factualization, since he uttered that forbidden name 
as a defense of facts and the name of his own country. Hang on. So most people in Britain have a pretty low opinion of Donald Trump. I mean, yeah, if I, Donald I mean, Trump's going to say that, most, most people in Britain would no, think I, the opposite. I, I don't have a high opinions of Donald Trump either. But I mean, what he's I'm saying is unlikely to affect... out the chronological facts, right? Yeah. I mean, rather than racialization of the issue, he has been factualizing the issue, right? Well, okay, I mean... I, I don't need to add my voice to the moral condemnation to save my time. But there is above all another angle. Apparently, I've been told that the situation is getting very bad. Right? And um, So what's your advice to, I mean, I think it's the latest count, it's 27,000 Hong Kongers who applied for the BNO visas, and um, about everybody expects there's going to be more to come. Uh, well, depending on what areas they land, perhaps. I mean, if they, uh, if they get to certain areas where conservatives uh, dominate, say, areas in uh, Somerset or Bournemouth and all that kind of area, they might get gawked at by their, by their neighbors, you know. But, uh, but uh, well, it, it, it sounds like... Sorry, sorry, what you It sounds like many Westerners treat this as a state of war, right? In that case, like during the Bliss in 1940... A German family living in London should not be very surprised to find that their neighbors stopped talking to them. As they spoke English with a German accent, they would be refused service. And they should consider themselves lucky that their windows didn't get smashed with stones by some patriotic school kids on the street. If that was the scenario of London in 1940, after all, we are all human. Now, one doesn't need to be racist, but one won't be that confident either that as a non-racian, one can resist reflexive disgust or some irrational associations with the people who uh, eat bats and other wildlife. So I think Asians and Chinese in Britain and America must get the facts right. The virus don't come from the people. The virus come from a political source. Right? I mean, it's no good complaining about right, white racist attacks. From their patriotic uh, point of view, I mean, their feelings get hurt. They've got innocent people dying every day. I think this bait of racist attack must be treated rationally, and this time a little bit differently. He's like, I mean, it's wrong. It's yeah. wrong, right? Don't get me wrong. I would, I, 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 I can, I can add my voice to the cliche of moral. But you, you're, you're saying it's excusable or it's understandable. No, it's not excusable, but it takes time to be clarified. <laughs> you know, I don't know now, what does now, that mean. I, I, I give you an example. Means. There have been there have been Islamic terrorist attacks uh, in Western cities in the past decades. I have heard some voices saying that if innocent Muslims would organize demonstrations in the street condemning radical Islamism, it would help to promote or clear their own image. That's all I can say, right? 
All right. Well, here's, some, here's a comment from uh, Henry on Facebook uh, who says, uh, prejudice, discrimination, antagonism against Chinese in the West is nothing new. Anyone looking up in the Internet would find numerous articles detailing many, many injustices. Think about the White Australia Policy, Chinese Exclusion Act, racial abuse or derogatory marks in TV programmes, racial remarks by the UK royal family, Fu Manchu and the negative cultural impact, uh, Trump's anti-China moves, fabricated allegations against Chinese, Chinese labourers building the Canadian railways were paid less and given the most hard and dangerous part to work than their Western counterparts, etc. Why? Why aren't there similar things thrown out on Western countries like Germany, Norwegian, Portuguese, etc.? Why single out Chinese? I'm sure everybody will know the answer. No need for me to write. That's from uh, Henry. There's other comments by Henry on, on the Facebook page uh, as well. Bowen says, Dear Backchat, the widely reported hate crimes against people of East Asian descent in, for example, the US, we're going to be focusing on the US in the second part of the program, are likely to have been spurred by the COVID pandemic and the negative image of China resulting from its policies and actions. But in the UK, for instance, opinion polls have shown that a large majority of the British population supports extending to Hong Kongers the chance to settle there. Listeners who want to know what fair-minded, right-thinking Brits think about this topic should watch and listen to, for example, what Natalie Bennett, co-chair of the British All-Party Parliamentary Group on Hong Kong, says in a recent online interview. She most sensibly points out that while the popular perception in Britain is that all Hong Kongers are well-educated, English-speaking and ready to start their own business once they're in the UK, those who do not have such a privileged background should also be helped. It's pretty much in the interest of everybody, including the authorities here, that uh, people who feel strongly about the kind of society they want to live in be given the option to emigrate and that different choices of destination are available, as appears to be the case at present. Even pro-establishment figures, like Professor Francis Loy, have previously voiced their support for a policy of keeping Hong Kong, but not necessarily Hong Kongers. That is uh, from Bowen. Um, D Diana, yeah, what, what about this uh, the, the BNO? We've seen these, uh, this uh, extra effort, this large package, which the British government have, uh, have unveiled to uh, help uh, Hong Kongers uh, arriving in, in, uh, in, in the UK on the, on the BNO passports uh, settle uh, in the country. How do you think that's going to go down? So it raises them against the um, Asians. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Can I, oh, Diana? Yeah, yeah. First. So it raises them against Chinese. Uh, Chip, can we let, let Diana in, please? Oh, please. sorry, sorry. Diana, yeah. Well, I was just really going to say that yep. um, in terms of um, you know perceptions or views um, uh, around sort of the COVID-related anti-Asian racial violence, you know. I guess the BNO intake is likely to further aggravate the situation. Um, as I mentioned, many community organizations are already really terrified about how racial attacks will arise again post-lockdown. And I think the reality is that the racialized discourses of COVID-19 will damage perceptions of um, East and Southeast Asians in, in the UK and globally for decades. So I think news of further Chinese migrants coming to Britain will only add fuel to the flames if it's not handled responsibly by the government and the media. So I guess there are just really a whole range of questions that we need to ask in terms of how the government will manage, for example, access to housing, education, employment, what protection it will give to um, those um, from UK supporters of the Chinese government who might target Hong Kongers. How will it manage sort of communication to the wider public about um, what support will be given to the incomers? You know, I, I understand that they, they will have no um, recourse to public funds in the UK. Um, but how, how will all of that manage, be, be managed? I guess that is the question um, that we need 
we need to be asking. Uh, Chip, how, how about this, uh, this latest uh, package of funding from the British government? Does it suggest, sorry, does it suggest that perhaps a lot of the people arriving in the UK are not to the sort of the middle class property owners that they perhaps expected? I mean, when they talk about additional funding for um, uh, helping people to learn English, they're not talking about people who've sold their flats in Taikushing, are they? No, no, they're not. Well, if, if uh, racism represents the political or social mainstream in Britain, uh, Boris Johnson, by taking that move so blatantly, would result in his own Conservative Party being toppled in the next election. So it's a bit of a contradiction. Right? He wouldn't do that if uh, the mainstream uh, sentiments in Britain is uh, against uh, more Hong Kong Chinese uh, immigra immigration. So I'm a little bit confused. So maybe a racist attacks or the Decoratory remarks you hear in Britain represent a minority. I don't know. I've, I haven't been in the country uh, for more than a year, so <laughs> you're, mi you're missing it, aren't you? Well, not not really, because uh, well, because of the COVID-19 uh, lockdown. But I think uh, I, I don't think people should read too much into uh, sporadic uh, racist attack cases here and there. Um, I believe in the liberal education for so many years, political, political correctness, cancel culture. Don't forget you can get strong back up by liberals, by non-governmental uh, charity bodies and etc. You could write to the Guardian to complain and etc. So, I mean, I, I don't think it could be a big problem. And it would be a good move for the Conservative government to uh, distribute funds to help Hong Kong immigrants to uh, get assimilated into the British social culture. Uh, Diana Ye, you wanted to come back? Yeah, I wasn't 100% um, sure that I'm hearing um, the other guest speaker correctly because of the quality of the line. But um, I understood um, perhaps that he, he was saying that we shouldn't look at these kind of um, individual kind of sort of attacks um, in terms of COVID-related racism and um, focus on that only. But I guess what I want to re respond to, if that, if that corrects what he said, um, is that, you know, um, something that you mentioned earlier is about the kind of wider context, um, um, not only of geopolitics, but also Brexit, you know, because I think what's really important about that is that Brexit really legitimised um, a kind of popular um, racism. Um, there was a rise in racial violence in the post-referendum period, but also a rise in the hate crime discourse. And what we need to do is we need to see um, that this kind of hate crime discourse is part and parcel, actually, of the kind of um, the normalisation of, um, of, of state violence, in a sense. It's disavowed to return such a hate crime and sort of racism being seen as the individual act of, um, you know, people who are bigots who are walking down the street, perhaps, um, without recognising that, you know, there, there are different forms of state violence that have been, um, you know, throughout the UK in terms of, you know, all Im immigration laws, um, highly racialised policies such as the detention of migrants, anti-terrorism measures and so on. So I think this needs to be um, acknowledged. And one of the really important things that is often missing around hate crime is that we don't look at issues around structural violence against East and South East Asians, which needs to be recognised and is kind of um, 
legitimised by the state. Sorry, what, what do you I mean? mean one, sorry, what do you mean by one, structural violence? Okay. Structural violence. So one of the issues we can say is looking at the invisibility of East and Southeast Asians in the UK besides the Chinese. So because of the colonial relationship, the Chinese are visible um, in society. But when you're looking at um, you know, East and, other East and Southeast Asians, they actually only appear as an aggregated group um, of Asian other. So the experiences of those groups, so Filipino, Thai, Japanese, for example, are completely um, rendered invisible. And you see that, for example, with the hate crime statistics, where police forces, um, they, they differ, but many of them still use Chinese only, which means that the experiences of all those other groups are completely rendered um, invisible and not seen. So um, another example is that uh, of this is that you know that we know that there are sort of claims about the disproportionate lives, um, loss of lives by um, racialized populations um, as a result of COVID, and we also know that Filipinos are the second largest migrant group in the NHS workforce, with the highest number of nurses in clinical support staff. So um, you know there are reports that state that one in five healthcare workers who lost their lives is Filipino. Um, and there's a Filipino Nurses Association who claims that more Filipinos have died in the NHS than in the Philippines during that period. But actually, we don't have any evidence of that because of um, the way in which the statistics are produced in the UK that invisibilises those experiences altogether. Hmm. Well, Danny, many thanks, thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, Senior Lecturer at City, University's, uh, City University of London School of Arts and Social Sciences, the Department of uh, Sociology. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Chip Cho, once again, thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us. We're going to be sort of turning our attention to the uh, US and talking to an academic uh, there after the news at nine. Of course, we want to hear from you. You can email backchat at rthk.hk uh, on this topic or perhaps on our final topic today uh, and this week. Uh, and that's uh, simply about to trash in our countryside following the uh, Easter break and is it going to happen all over again uh, this week um, a quick comment from uh, Henry on uh, Facebook there's a few comments by Henry but uh, Henry says with regard to the BNO UK's move is another evidence that assimilation of the mainstream in the UK and indeed in any western countries for Chinese is difficult and very hard the weather cloudy with a couple of showers temperatures up to 22 degrees 20 degrees the latest readings with a relative humidity now of 87% about racial uh, hatred uh, acts in the UK we were focusing on in the first part of the programme now turning to the United States and also talking about the uh, BNO uh, package uh, launched in the uh, UK and the progress uh, of that uh, uh, scheme Uh, we're also going to be discussing uh, later uh, about uh, trash problems in the country parks and the outlying islands with Paul Zimmerman uh, joining us from about 9.20 this morning as ever you can email back chat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to read out your messages or you can comment on our Facebook page that's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3 share your thoughts there or simply give us a call and our number is 233-88266 we'll put you on air 233-88266 An email from Matthew Matthew says all countries and nationalities are nationalistic or racist to some extent and this includes western countries but most certainly also includes Han Chinese in the mainland which is one of the least diverse inclusive and culturally open 
open places in the world. The root cause of the specific issue with racism towards Chinese people and other Asians at the moment is that the Chinese Communist Party insists on pushing the idea that all Chinese people in the world and the country of China itself are inseparable from them and their eternal asset. This, of course, is a great lie and total fraud. However, it leads to much confusion and harm being inflicted on Chinese people and mistakenly also on some other Asian people. The issue with China is the CCP and the direction its current leadership has chosen to take, not the country itself or its people. In the language we choose and the way we discuss this topic, we need to very consciously separate these things and also refer to CCP and not China or Chinese people when we refer to the current issues with the country. That is uh, from Matthew. Uh, and Beatrice says, in the first place, we as ethnic Chinese have to ask ourselves a question. Are we facilitating the process of racialization if some of us reach out to foreign countries for their own agenda? That is from Beatrice. Uh, and on the COVID, Mike says, to understand where COVID came from, the best documentary I've seen on the subject is from Epoch Times. They discuss all rumours and aspects of it, of aspects of where it came from, including Dr. Fauci and USA involvement. Over 100 million views. Don't be the last on the block. Don't blame Chinese, but the CCP have a large responsibility in trying to hide the facts, and anger towards them is understandable. That comes from Mike. Uh, email backchat at rthk.hk. We know joined by uh, Kelson Gustin Law, who's a visiting assistant professor of philosophy at Vassar College in the US. Um, Mr. Law, um, uh, good morning or good evening, Hi. where you are. Thank you for joining Hi, good us. Morning. <laughs> yes. Thanks for having me. Um, we know, we, we've seen a, a series of horrendous reports about attacks on Asians, uh, not specifically Chinese, um, in the US in, uh, in recent weeks and indeed months. And in fact, we've seen a, a series of protests by um, Asian Americans about, about this. Um, What's your assessment of the current situation? Uh, I think it's pretty severe. Um, I personally haven't experienced any such uh, threats or uh, harassment or assaults, but um, the news uh, keeps coming in. Um, and this um, onslaught of uh, assault and harassment began as early as at least uh, March uh, in 2020, um, when uh, I think I believe a, a white woman uh, was charged um, um, with uh, bombing into an Asian woman in Manhattan uh, and uh, saying that you're the reason why the coronavirus is here. So that started uh, all the way in last March. Uh, and um, we have thousands of cases, reported cases of anti-Asian attacks um, um, up to this point. So it's pretty bad, I think, in the U.S. But why? I mean, now uh, Donald Trump's gone. Donald Trump's been gone for several months. And um, if anything, the COVID situation is easing slightly. So why, why should it still be so severe now? Um, even though we have a different precedent, um, the rhetoric uh, that Trump and some other politicians perpetrated, I believe, uh, are still around. Um, um, when Trump was president, um, 
last year he referred to uh, the disease COVID, uh, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus repeatedly as the China virus. Uh, and he repeatedly blamed China. And there were also uh, conspiracy theories going around uh, suggesting that uh, the virus did not um, appear spontaneously, but instead it was uh, actually the product of some laboratory in Wuhan. Uh, and I don't think people who were subscribing to these views just stopped uh, believing them just because uh, there's a change in the administration. Um, so I think uh, it's a combination of racism with pandemic scape voting in some cases, uh, and racism in combination with um, pandemic conspiracy theory in some other cases. Um, and I think the these ideologies or attitudes explain why we see so many attacks uh, and harassment, not only in the rural areas, um, but uh, also in major culturally diverse urban centers, such as uh, New York City and uh, San Francisco Bay Area, where um, people are not worried that um, um, uh, they're threatened by the uh, competition from the agricultural products of China. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's the, yeah, it's the racism on the one hand and uh, scapegoating uh, out, out of perhaps people's frustration and fatigue with um, the pandemic and the lockdowns and various restrictions on, on the freedom uh, in many cases and in some cases uh, also the conspiracy theories regarding the virus. Now, in the first half of this show, we were talking about the situation in the UK, and one thing we've commonly heard from Asians living in the UK over the past year is that they're, 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 they were almost at some stages scared to wear face masks because they wear face masks and you seem to be more likely to be identified and as a target. Um, is, is that an issue in the US? Do you or other Asian Americans ever hesitate about wearing a face mask because it, it might attract more attention? My parts of the country, I, I, I live in upstate New York. Uh, I think in New York, the state of New York, uh, it wouldn't draw any special attention. Uh, people, uh, thankfully, uh, wear face covering very commonly. Um, but that's not the case in many other states in the U.S. And I, I can imagine that... Uh, by now, um, yeah, um, especially in states where the governors or the, the, the state governments have lifted the, the mask mandate, uh, many people have stopped wearing masks. And um, I can imagine uh, Asians having concern um, if, if they choose to wear masks in public. Um, and I, I, I can report that early on, very early on in the pandemic, I think back in March or April in 2020, last year, uh, when 
uh, hardly anyone was wearing any face covering in the U.S. I, I started wearing uh, one uh, in the supermarket, and, and someone, um, a, a Caucasian man, stopped me and lectured me uh, for wearing a face covering. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, that, that stopped happening now that everyone is wearing a, a mask in New York. So in that sense, the situation is actually better than it was a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, can you ask the question again? Uh, I was just saying, in that sense, you said that uh, now, now there's not the same sort of reaction to people wearing face masks. I said the situation is maybe better than it was a year ago. Oh, yes, yes. In many parts of the country, yes. Uh, there's another aspect of this, a sort of complicating aspect that's re is reported. And I think it's been stressed in Korea a little bit more, though that there is some discussion in in Hong Kong as well. That that uh, a number of this this these uh, these hate crimes in the United States were perpetrated by African Americans uh, disproportionately. Um, that's that's a that's a claim. I don't know if there's anything to that, or I don't know if that's something that's that's come up or is discussed or felt among uh, Asians in the United States? Um, it, it seems that, um, uh, or, or rather, um, a fact is that uh, of the cases where the, the perpetrators uh, are charged with hate crime, um, with a hate crime, uh, many of these perpetrators uh, are pe uh, people of color. Um, and that um, is remarkable to, to many people. Um, but this does not, for many people, mean that in reality uh, it is uh, people of color or specifically uh, African-Americans who constitute the majority. Uh, it may have to do with um, um, how people are charged with crimes. Um, uh, recently, um, one issue um, is about um, sometimes how difficult it is um, um, to uh, have enough evidence to charge uh, someone not only with uh, assault or murder, but specifically as hate crime. Um, and there are many cases where uh, the Asian American community uh, feels that it is uh, quite likely to be uh, not a random attack, but an, an anti-Asian attack. But uh, nonetheless, um, the perpetrator is not charged with hate crime. So um, just because um, of the cases uh, where the hate crime is, is um, pressed, um, just because the majority um, is made of, uh, of people of color, um, yeah, it, it does, yeah, it, there's a question, at least, um, to be asked about uh, whether um, uh, the charges have been pressed, like, fairly, and whether the system is, is just. Mm. 
you know that it seems that there's there's a kind of quite a long term um hostility still growing i mean between i mean geopolitical tension between the us and uh, and uh china which looks as i say quite a large scale something that's going to be quite slow moving and might might last for a, for a very long time are you worried then that 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 that's, this kind of uh, racism this kind of friction hostility is going to continue in the united states um i would like to be optimistic but uh, I'm afraid that uh, racism will, will continue to be around in the U.S. for a long time. Um, but I think it's the, the attack assault harassment against Asians and Asian Americans may let up mm-hmm. somewhat despite that. Uh, I hope uh, once the pandemic is under control and um, people can, um, once, once people um, regain most of normalcy, um, maybe Asians will be targeted less, uh, but not because racism um, will disappear, I'm afraid. Now, a lot of Hong Kong people moving overseas at the moment. Uh, Britain, the number one destination because uh, Britain now has very liberal visa policies for Hong Kong, most Hong Kong people. But uh, I'm sure we're going to see um, increasing numbers moving to the US as well. What, what would your advice be to people in Hong Kong who are thinking about uh, possibly moving to the US? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um I, I would say that this is a temporary situation, that uh, this, this increase in, in assaults and harassment. Um, I think in many parts of the country, one can feel, feel fairly safe. Um, and, and there are things that people can do uh, to... Uh, remedy the situation. I think. Um, I think. I, I would call on not only Asians but everyone to look out for each other in the community. Um, and uh, uh, Asians who who do live in the U.S. Um, to to them or people who think of moving to the U.S. to to these people, I would say, um, have, have your voice heard? Be, be more active uh, civically. Uh, um, if you have the right to vote, go vote and and uh, call your your elected representatives to voice their concerns and demand more action and protection at the institutional level. Um, yeah, join rallies and protests that represent your values or concerns. Um, yeah, I, I, I would. Um, encourage people who, who are considering Asians, including Hong Kong people who are considering moving to the U.S., um, to, to embrace the community and, and partake in um, civil life and civil activities. Okay. Our number is 233-88266. We've got a caller now. I think it's Dan. Dan, good morning. Yes, uh, good morning, Hugh. Yeah. And Danny, and Mr. Law. Uh, I just want to say, as, uh, as someone from America, born in America, I grew up loving Asian people. Uh, my circle of friends, we admired and, and I want to say revered Asian people. I remember having a, 
lady who was a student at uh, Wheaton College stay with us in my little town of Nacelle, Washington for two weeks. It was such a privilege. We felt it was a privilege and honor to have her in our house. In my circle of friends uh, and family and everybody I know, we hold Asians and Chinese in high esteem. Uh, the fact that out of 330 million people, you've got some bad apples that have a wrong attitude and may be racist is a sad thing. It's a fact, but it's not true of the whole country. So you, you must be horrified by the, I mean, inevitably these kind of reports will attract the attention, will attract attention, won't they? Yeah, of course, Danny. And I even have a, a, a American-born Chinese friend who's uh, taking care of her mother in Sacramento, and they've had some comments thrown at them and stuff like that, but they're strong and they'll get through it. Uh, you know, you just consider those people for who they are. They're just total jerks and do your best to ignore them. Is he your? I know you're not in the U.S. now. Is it your perception that there, there are more of these people, or they they're more they're more of these or these jerks are more articulate than they were a couple of years ago? Oh, I think uh, social media has made things worse, Danny, and then uh, some of that filters out into the real world when you leave your computer and start walking around. So, how about the the question I put to our guest? Uh, maybe put to you, Hong Kong people who are thinking of moving to the U.S. I mean, what what should they make of of these events? Um. Well, I don't know that many Hong Kong people are thinking of moving to the U.S. I would advise parents not to send their children to U.S. universities. For one thing, they're discriminating against Chinese, like Harvard and others, and Asians, not, uh, you know, giving priority to other minority groups. So, uh, And the, the colleges are so utterly leftist and uh, perverse in many ways. Don't send your kids there. In terms of moving there, choose your places carefully where you want to live. Okay, Dan, many thanks for your call. Jim, in an email, says, Violence in America is no greater than in the UK or Europe. COVID hate is event-driven. A weak-minded loses a close relative and in their grief blames an Asian person. Mass murder hate is emotionally driven, as in China, Europe, Japan or the UK. That's uh, from uh, Jim. Uh, uh, David says, great job, Backchat, when there is ample proof for racism against Asians all over the West with shocking attacks. You keep reading out whataboutism comments from Western listeners with racist overtones against Chinese, trying to insinuate that Chinese themselves are racist without even giving any proof. Shame on you. That comes from uh, David. Johnny says, the recent rise in anti-Asian sentiment in the UK is hardly surprising in a country where racism, whether based on skin colour or religion, has been widespread and deeply ingrained for decades. Sadly, this is unlikely to change soon. Hong Kongers who choose to emigrate to the UK will be moving to a country where they can enjoy universal suffrage, rule of law, etc., but they should be prepared for endless racial slurs and, in extreme cases, physical attacks. That said, it would be naive to believe that Hong Kong is free of racism. Indeed, I often hear fellow Hong Kong Chinese residents referring to South Asians, Africans and Filipino helpers in derogatory terms, which all locals will be familiar with. Thankfully, however, unlike the UK, we rarely see racially-based physical attacks uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, MT uh, says uh, one of the strongest pro-Brexit group of voters, this is in the UK, was second and third generation immigrants voting against their own race. That comes uh, from uh, MT. And uh, Mike says, uh, uh, what now? We have reverse deniers. The Spanish flu outbreak originated in Spain. The bat that the coronavirus flu the bat that the corona flu originated from was first discovered in Quanming. 
that is in China, folks. Therefore, as from all history, we call like, like it is. Do change the facts and then blame it on Trump, says uh, Mike. Um, thanks for that. Many thanks to uh, to uh, Gus, Kelson Gustin-Law, uh, oh, joining us on the line. Thank, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us today. Uh, uh, visiting Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Vassar College uh, in the um, United States. Um, Alan of Lama says, uh, Hugh stated that Steve Vines has been promoted to back chat. This is as credible as TVB cancelling the Oscars for technical reasons. I know you can't openly defy the white terror, but please don't tell us the chocolate ration has gone up. Vines was censored for criticising the government. That is obvious to everyone. He had a weekly 30 to 40 minute commentary segment on Morning Brew. Now he gets a few words in once a week on back chat. We hear much more from Q and on Mike than Steve Vines now that comes uh, from uh, Alan of uh, Lama. Thanks very much indeed for that uh, for that comment. Um, the, the, I mean, the other the other point seriously is that um, uh, we we as you say, Steve Vines had a, had an extended commentary segment, uh, but we don't have anybody else doing that kind of uh, commentary, uh, and so we don't have any kind of uh, balance. Uh, we just have uh, one person expressing, uh, you know, his, his his particular view, uh, and we don't have any sort of, as I say, balance or comparable um, alternative. Uh, on back chat, the the uh, the way we work it is that the uh, co-hosts. Uh, like Danny and others, they have their own uh, expertise, they have their own knowledge, they have their own background, and their own, their own take on things, uh, which is what Steve does. Uh, and uh, Steve can, um, uh, if he wants, uh, engage and uh, join the discussion and tackle guests, tackle listeners, and uh, uh, interact uh, in that kind of way. So it's a different kind of program, and uh, I'm here to uh, provide some kind of balance and uh, be neutrality, and we have a balance of guests over the week uh we hope and that's how we achieve that balance rather than having uh one person uh as you say talking for 30 to 40 minutes uh so that's the thinking behind um uh steve vines as i say getting that promotion 26 minutes past nine I wanted to turn finally um this morning uh and this week to the question of rubbish and uh trash left over the weekends you might have seen press reports that over 190 tons of refuse were collected in islands and rural areas over the uh, last uh, Easter weekend, according to the uh, uh, FEHD. Uh, huge amounts in particular are on the islands, 170 uh, tonnes uh, collected in, in Chengchou, uh, I think. Uh, rubbish piling up on Tunglung Island. You might have seen pictures uh, from that. A lot of concern over over the pollution. Uh, Paul Zimmerman joins us now, CEO of Designing Hong Kong. and also a Southern District Councillor. Paul, uh, good morning to you. Good day to you. Morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. So massive, massive amounts. Obviously, there's huge numbers of people um, out uh, in the country parks and the outlying islands and camping and, and things like this. Um, do we need a kind of a new approach to rubbish, do you think, in the country parks and the, and the islands? Yeah, or, or a new approach to camping. I mean, mm. um, we've, this has now been repeated um, several times that we're on the long holidays that we had a lot of people camping. Uh, it was originally, what is it, five, six years ago, this concerns about uh, mainland tourists camping on the, on the beaches. And uh, with COVID now, it is basically everybody who's stuck in Hong Kong is camping everywhere despite the fact that all the campgrounds are, are closed. Uh, there is no, all the camping we have seen is uh, this, this holiday was wild camping. Um, it, it was, uh, there was, because there was no designated campground open. 
Um, and I think that government has underestimated that and has failed to understand that there is a community need for um, uh, for getting out in the nature and getting out of their homes that they've been stuck in for, for more than a year. And um, there's a lot of people that uh, either can't afford uh, the hotel rates or um, to do their staycation or um, otherwise really enjoy the, the nice weather and, and the nature to uh, get some fresh air and, and get away from COVID. So the campsites, I didn't realise that, the campsites are still closed? Then. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. Okay. So, uh, and it's also been pointed out to me, of course, that there's, there's all this rubbish which was collected, but there's all the because there were no toilets for a lot of this wild camping. Mm. So there's a lot of other waste which we're not going to see pictures of. Well, again, hope. again, it comes to the camping issue. I mean, if you camp, you stay for a long time, and mm. there's a need for toilets. And um, you know, people don't, don't have a habit here of wild camping. If you uh, people that go wild camping in other parts of the world, they learn to take a little spade and, and dig a little hole uh, before they do their thing and, and cover back up again. And, and, and people are not uh, showing up at campgrounds or in, in nature with spades in their hands in, in Hong Kong. But again, it, it, it's underestimating that demand. And, um, and I don't think uh, from now on camping is going to disappear. I think it's completely changed uh, the, the demand for camping. And it's not just the country parks. Uh, it is the, you know, on Sunday, the walkways in Central, uh, in Pok Falam, uh, the Cyberport Waterfront Park, five years ago, there were no tents. If you now go on the weekend, people are there the whole day with a little tent and put the kids to sleep and make a little meal. Um, you know, so just visiting the park has changed into a day camping activity. Um, and so I think the whole attitude towards camping, and especially as COVID, is not going to go away for, for, I would think, for another 12 months before um, uh, people can have, you know, can afford travelling again, or are able so, to so, travel again. So, opening and maybe extending, developing the the uh, camping sites would be the best way forward, and have facilities so, uh, and showers and toilets and so on. Yeah, and and, and then facilitate and recognise that there are peak demand periods where you can wheel in or lift in uh, special dedicated containers for a space. Uh, facilitated and uh, proactively knowing that you're not going to stop it. Um, and then facilitate people the, the proper use of uh, of the facilities. And, if, and once you do that, then you can also get harsher on um, stopping wild camping outside designated areas or recognised areas. Um, yes. That's presumably a matter of enforcement. I mean, it, um, I, I, wild, wild camping is presumably not not permitted. So it's just um, LCSD and so on, or the other forages in the country parks, just turning a blind eye to it at the moment. Well, I, I don't think it's a blind eye. It's a, it's a lack of resources. AFCD has, uh, and there were some numbers out. Uh, I don't recall the exact uh, figures, but there has been some uh, some penalties and some enforcement. But the uh, there is there is just not the resource. I mean, the explosion of wild camping is enormous. I mean, we've seen them on every beach, not just uh, the, the well-known beaches in Dailong Saiwan or Dailong Wan. Everywhere in Hong Kong, every little space has been used in the last holiday for camping on top of the mountains, along little beaches, um, uh, camp, uh, not just uh, um, uh, park areas. We've seen camping everywhere. Um, and, um, and I think this is an explosion in the activity that is, that is not well understood. And it covers many different departments. It's not just the AFCD for the parks and the LCSD for their campgrounds and their subvented camp- campgrounds. But it is FEHD, Lens Department, the police. So, it, it, and I think that government needs to look at it from an overall aspect, um, rather than the only overall aspect that we currently have is the closure rules on the COVID, which is uh, by the CPA, CA 
be. And then, um, so I think we need to get a, a positive attitude of government and, and thinking about how we're going to deal with this explosion in camping. And what is camping then? Is day camping and night camp- in evening camping, overnight camping? Where where do you draw the line? Is it putting up, pitching up a tent in Tamar Park? Is that camping? Um, and then when does it stop? <laughs> so, uh, so people have to have a, a real uh, think about this because this is not going to go away. All right, here's just a quick suggestion from MT. Uh, an email who says, Parks need to have staff that are out walking in the parks, not just controlling the gate entrances. The staff can be centrally funded with some cost offset by a nominal entry charge. By charging people, by charging people will be empowered to self-regulate and stop others. That comes from MT. About charging for country parks. Well, then you have to have gate control on, mm. on the country parks, and that you might consider that at Saikung because you've got a very narrow entrance and a, a very limited number of pathways into the park. But other parks have multiple entry points, and um, gate control then becomes quite difficult. But the number of wardens that AFCD can afford and uh, is, is limited, and we haven't seen in, in the last budget round we see money for investments in glamping and other facilities, but we haven't seen. Significant increase in staffing. Okay, well, uh, Paul Zimmerman, thanks for joining us uh, once again, a CEO of Designing Hong Kong, a Southern District Councillor. A uh, couple more comments. Uh, Jim says, uh, due to language and cultural reasons, it's not common for first generation Asian immigrants to assimilate into a- American neighbours. Hence, most Americans do not know their new Asian citizens until the third generation. That comes uh, from uh, Jim and uh, John says, Q Anon Mike gets a lot of airtime to spread his own mix of mythology, misunderstanding and untruth. Uh, one of the falsehoods he tossed off this morning was that the Spanish flu originated in Spain. In fact, it seems to have originated in the USA, but wartime censorship kept press reports suppressed. Newspapers were free to report the epidemic's effects in neutral Spain. Uh, and these stories created a false impression of Spain as especially hard hit. Uh, this gave rise to the name Spanish flu. That's from uh, Wikipedia. John, thank you very much indeed for that. Danny, thank you very much indeed. Uh, here's the weather. Cloudy with uh, one or two showers. Temperatures up to 22 degrees uh, today. Is that all? The outlook mainly cloudy and windy in the next couple of days. It's going to be brighter early next week. 21 degrees at the moment with a relative humidity now of 84%. My son's vaccination appointment should be soon. Has my father-in-law used up his healthcare vouchers? Register with eHealth and download the eHealth app, and these records can be viewed at a glance. We can view our own and our children's vaccination records, which include COVID-19 vaccination records. Elderly people can check their healthcare voucher records anytime as well. There are also other functions, like searching for doctors and viewing medication records. The eHealth app, a new mode for managing your health. Don't wait. Download it now. 535, the news with Todd Harding. A patient's concern group says it would be wasteful of the government to go ahead with its purchase.